why when any other country is celebrated yeah. that Palestine cannot be. And that was the whole point. That was the whole driving force that why can't it happen? Why isn't it happening? And it shall happen. Like, you can tell me, the Mr. Saadid Javid, that you know what, you've got concerns, X, Y, Z, but this is happening because it has to happen. You know, that's the kind of mentality. So we went through that. At the same time, you know, me pretending to be a, a lawyer, I, I can barely read, but reading through these like legal documents about <laughs> why this can't happen, this, this X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. All I could see is them saying no. And all I could see is me saying yes. And just working with the lawyers, working out, look, let's make it happen. Look, they're, everything they were saying, in honesty, like keeping it real, everything they were saying, they're just slinging mud, accusations. And this, this, is, this is the game that's played, that to sling as much mud as possible and hopefully that some will stick long enough for something for people to be scared about or mm. at least cast doubt upon people's head that people will be scared to get involved or doubt to get involved yeah, or what's, yeah. the, what's the point. Um, but be, and there was a financial implication upon all this as well in terms of you know, the legal field, et cetera, et cetera. So they challenge you on that field. That to basically drain you. Yeah, they drain you in every single way mm. they can, expecting you not to respond, but our community responded. Yeah. I'm telling you, our community responded yeah, yeah. Um, in every single way you could imagine to say, look, this is happening. And our volunteers, the volunteers at FOA, I'm extremely proud of them. You know, one guy always say, you know, I don't name check him, but he left his job, uh, literally left his job because we're in so much dire need for help just to, just to volunteer his services to us uh, the final month or so. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another TMB podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host Salim Qasim and this week I'm joined by Shamil from the Friends of Al-Aqsa. The Friends of Al-Aqsa have organised the Palestine Expo which is taking place on the 6th and 7th of July in London at the Olympia. Uh, we're going to be discussing the expo itself, talking about where it came from, the kind of motivation behind it, the thinking behind it. Um, and also discussing um, Friends of Al-Aqsa as an organization. Um, they've been around for, for many, many years and I think relatively, as I've seen it, at least flying under the radar, radar a little bit. We're going to be at the expo itself actually. The Muslim Vibe has a store there um, and I'm going to be speaking on one of the panels talking about the media. Um, so please do be sure to come down. Um, we do have a discount code for our readers and listeners. I'll put that in the description. It'd be great to see you guys there. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Shamil. Assalamu alaikum, Shamil. Waalaikumsalam. Thank you very much for joining us on the Muslim Vibe podcast today. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the Palestine Expo, um, Friends of Al-Aqsa, and the work that you've been doing over the last, well, too many years, I think, as, yeah. I, as I would see it. Um, so I think let's start with the Palestine Expo itself. Um, it's taking place on the 6th and 7th of July in London. Um, what is the motivation behind it? Where did the idea come from? How long has it been going? Sure. Our first one uh, was actually, do you know what, before that, let me say thank you very much for having me. Do the formal <laughs> stuff out of the way. Um, so thank you for Muslim Vibe. Um, this is actually my first podcast. Um, first one I'm doing this conversation at. You and did it's also actually, tell me before this that you've ever listened to I've never to listened one. to a podcast. I wasn't sure if I should confess that, but no, I've never even listened to a podcast. I'm, I'm so, hoping you'll listen back to this one. Yeah, uh, yeah we'll see about that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so thanks, honestly, for um, inviting me down to talk about Palestine Expo. So we had our first Palestine Expo in 2017. Uh, the idea behind it, I suppose, has been in my head for about maybe 10 years previous to that, that we should do something big to bring all the Palestinian organizations, uh, all the supporters, everyone under one roof and have it as a celebratory thing when we, everyone gets together, rather than when something occurs in Palestine, we have to come to the streets of London and we have that reactively. demonstration and reactive. Yeah. So let's proactively come together and celebrate, you know, on that positive aspect. Um, well, yes, we'll talk about the politics around the situation around Palestine and the occupation, but also there's literally so much culture and heritage uh, that originates from the land of, of Palestine um, that we should focus on that. Um, so 2017 was kind of well, 2016 was the year I thought, right, next year, we've got to do it. We've got to do it. But the way it is, it became into late 2016, December. Um, till we thought, okay, yeah, let's do this. We're, we're going to do it. So we found a venue um, and finding a venue is another story which we might go into later. We found a venue and we decided to hold the event. And at the time it was a big ask because no one's ever done 
had done an event that big in London or at a central London location, yeah. bringing all sorts of organizations, everyone together. And with that celebration aspect um, and with that high footfall financially, socially, and the risks associated to it in all honesty, and just going for it. And the idea, as I said, was just to celebrate Palestinian history, culture, and the arts whilst discussing the politics. And it's supposed to be a fam family fun day, but it wasn't a family fun day for two days, but it wasn't supposed to be just an event. There's no point spending all those resources on just two days of an event. There's just no point. What, the, what we need is two days of galvanizing people. So bring people to, through the doors to have fun, but then they need to be educated and then they need to have the information to go out back home, back into the communities and actually do something. Yeah. So they're galvanized really. And they understand that, yes, everything that we're doing, it's fine. It's good. We're actually upholding international law and we're going to move forward in our communities and do so. And now we have the skills to, to do so. And the, and the, I suppose, the, the information and the encouragement to go forward. I think when I first came across the Palestine Expo, what I found very intriguing about it was that I was reflecting on my own perception and, and kind of thought process around Palestine. And it's always reactionary. It's always quite negative and mm. draining almost because you're just thinking of oppression, struggle, Gaza, you know, all the bombardment, like the siege, everything that's going on. It's always a, a negative association mm. with Palestine. Yeah. And as you rightly said, even when it comes to things as trivial as when I see a Facebook video talking about Israel being the land of Hummus or, mm. the, you know, the, 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 the mm. home state of of hummus and then all you see in the comments is people arguing and fighting and and debating over borders and 1980 whatever mm. and it, it just becomes very quite negative mm. and again when i came across the palestine expo there was this like element of positivity and celebration that you don't unfortunately normally associate with palestine mm. and i think what's interesting about it is tying that together with as you mentioned the information mm. um and with educating people that's that's quite unique. Um, what what was the response like of people at the first year? The first year was just like any big event, apparently. The first year is like your testing ground. And it's true. It was our testing ground. Yeah. Um, you made mistakes, I'm sure. <laughs> we made loads of mistakes, like <laughs> loads and loads and loads of mistakes. Um, from my position, like I, I can only see the negativity almost, right? Until I'm reminded by, you know what? there was success elements to it. Yeah. But I suppose that's kind of my um, my mindset or stroke my my role that I play here. Um, but the response was fantastic. Um, the response from people, our target when we set out was 10,000 people to come through the doors over two days. We had 15,000 people come through the, day, uh, through wow. the doors in two days. We weren't expecting that in all honesty. And the venue wasn't expecting that in terms of so much so that they were very, very nice with us, but so much so that almost you know the fire fire regulations etc we were really breaching to the side of things because it was getting to capacity very quickly um <clears throat> people were literally lining up to get into the into the rooms um it was very very busy people literally inside queuing for an hour to get into a room and then they couldn't get in to speak so we were a victim of our own success in that sense in terms of what actually happened it's not a bad problem no it's not bad it's yeah, nice. people say that people say it's a bad <laughs> it's not the worst problem to have on your yeah. first event so that was that was um a bit of an issue but what was interesting is the government's response more than the community response for a second, if I could go into, because the institutional uh, response was, you guys can't host it. So we actually went into discussion with, I could call it discussion, uh, with, the, with the powers that be um, saying that we can't hold it. They were lobbied for uh, the Queen Elizabeth Center not to host us. So we actually didn't know what's actually happening. We were toing and froing with the department. This is before the actual event? Before the event. So only until like a week before the event did we have written consent from the government. A week we, before? A week before. We didn't actually know what's going on. Like we were, we were going like it's happening because like there was no way this was not going to happen. You know, something that's so monumental. And that's the very reason why it needs to happen. That why, why when any other country is celebrated, yeah. that Palestine cannot be. And that was the whole point. That was the whole driving force that why can't it happen? Why isn't it happening? And it shall happen. Like, you can tell me, the Mr. Sadiq Javid, that you know what, you've got concerns, X, Y, Z, but this is happening because it has to happen. 
you know, that's the kind of mentality. So we went through that. At the same time, you know, me pretending to be a, a lawyer, I, I can barely read, but reading through these like legal documents about <laughs> why this can't happen, this, this X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. All I could see is them saying no. And all I could see is me saying yes. And just working with the lawyers, working out, look, let's make it happen. Look, they're, everything they were saying, in you know, honesty, like keeping it real, everything they were saying, they're just slinging mud, accusations. And this, this, is, this is the game that's played, that to sling as much mud as possible and hopefully that some will stick long enough for something for people to be scared about or mm. at least cast doubt upon people's head that people will be scared to get involved or doubt to get involved yeah, or what's, yeah. the, what's the point? Um, but be, and there was a financial implication upon all this as well in terms of you know, the legal field, et cetera, et cetera. So they challenge you on that field. That to basically drain you. Yeah, they drain you in every single way mm. they can, expecting you not to respond, but our community responded. Yeah. I'm telling you, our community responded yeah, yeah. Um, in every single way you could imagine to say, look, this is happening. And our volunteers, the volunteers at FOA, I'm extremely proud of them. You know, one guy always say, you know, I don't name check him, but he left his job, uh, literally left his job because we're in so much dire need for help just to, just to volunteer his services to us uh, the final month or so. That's incredible. Our volunteers coming from school, from uni, from college after work, etc. Just coming and helping out best way they can. Jumping onto social media, publicizing it. They did everything because they knew that this had to happen. Yeah. Um, as I said, we challenged the government back every step until that we said, look, there's nothing on us. There's nothing on Palestine Expo. It should happen. And they essentially reply back, yes, we uh, consent to this taking place but this was a week before this is just before this is just before so we and what were the were the attendees aware of this whole yeah so um, so one national newspaper we thought we're going to give us uh the coverage the truth but was spun a little bit um and didn't really put our side of the story yeah um and the word got out to people that this is happening in a negative way rather than what the story is which is like this is happening one of the quash but we will continue and we have to continue rather than put that element it will kind of went the other way and a lot of people read these national newspapers yeah. and i had spoke to people in the run-up and after during and after and people said that, you know they were in honesty they were thought you know it's not worth coming to right um, and that's that's sad uh, because these are people that even within the activist network, some of them on the peripheral, shall I say, thought, you know what, this kind of negativity isn't worth coming to, isn't worth doing. Um, but I'm glad, you know, 15,000 people thought otherwise. Yeah. And imagine, imagine if that publicity, the negative hadn't been there, um, how much people would have come through in that sense um, to move forward. But anyway, the point being, the event went ahead. Uh, it went ahead. Literally, the event at the Queen Elizabeth Centre is what, a minute, 45 second, 30 second, quick walk from Parliament. Um, you know, the heart of democracy in the UK. Putting Palestine in a venue where other states hold their, hold their corporate events and blue chip companies, etc. They've never had an event like this. So when we went in at the beginning saying, you know, we want to do this, we've got, we want to have catering. They go, yes, yes, catering's not a problem. You know, uh, £45 a head for catering. Per per no, bruv, you're not quite getting the kind of event that we're trying to, you know. But it was good. They were, they were so, so good. That's they were really so, nice. so nice. You know, they, we worked with them. I mean, I couldn't recommend them enough if anyone wants to use them as a venue or anything. They were very, very nice. Um, but the point here is that it was unusual for palestine to be at such a central yeah. location for people and the whole point was all the subconscious things that we had in our head that you know when people come out westminster station with their with their little ones they ask their mums and dads uncles aunts you know what's that building they say parliament and then you walk down to an event 30 seconds in and you're there and you know the access that you know what i can walk around in this area i have access to these big venues i have access to parliament i can walk that can i can hope i think would also tell that our issues are at the heart of things. And it's like, as you said, it's a subconscious thing almost. Yeah. That we're not marginalized. We're not in some like random suburb in some small town hall event. This is central London. This is big. And this year's at the Olympia. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And is that is those subconscious things that I really think are important for our next generation to take into account? That, yeah, you know, sure. as you said, it's not in, uh, with respect to community center in North, South, East, West London, where... We're, have, we're having to go to, um, but you know it's bringing into the mainstream, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. Palestine is an issue for the mainstream um, that can be talked about. It doesn't have to be 
whispered about. You know, we can say Palestine without people running or turning their heads, etc. And it should be something that we, we are openly talking about. And even like, I was almost surprised um, over the, was it the weekend or last week I was on the train um, and I saw at one of the stations and it was a, a major station. Again, it wasn't like some billboard in a corner in like the top of the Jubilee line. It was central London. There was a huge Palestine Expo um, poster. And again, like even that in itself for me is quite symbolic in terms of the fact that we're bringing the issue and not in an aggressive way, not in this kind of like having emotive imagery there. We're just saying that we're celebrating Palestine, mm. come along. Palestine is, is not a, a taboo, as you said, it's mm. not to be whispered. It's not a taboo word. It's, it's a country. It's a state that's, that's legitimate. I do want to ask you one question. Sure. We've gone about almost 15 minutes talking okay. and you haven't said the word Israel yet. Mm. Why is that? Just out of, I'm just no, curious. no, because we're talking about Palestine Expo. We're talking about Palestine. We're talking about what Palestine has to offer. We're talking about the, uh, the celebration of Palestine. But, you, but then later, when we, I'm sure, we talk about the conference <laughs> and the different segments going on in Palestine yeah. Expo, we will talk about Israel in terms of the occupation. But this is called Palestine Expo. Mm. Um, it is about the focus on Palestinian food, culture, heritage, arts. Um, and yes, you can't get away with without discussing the politics. And that has a, a flaw to itself. It has a third flaw, all towards the politics. At, at the event at itself. The event, at the event itself. Nice. Um, but that thing about the billboard, what's interesting, which I found interesting anyway, was in terms of, uh, you know, the conversion from when someone sees it to buying it. I'm not sure how... Um, it's well, probably not effective. Yeah, I'm not sure how effective it no. was. But, but... It's what, what, the reason why we did in 2017 and the reason why we launched again this year is everyone is saying that they're seeing it everywhere. Whether they come to Expo or not, Palestine is there on your billboard, on your commute to work, in Central, King's Cross, Euston, Holborn, Stanmore, Tooting, whatever. It's everywhere. You know, it's everywhere for people to say, look, Palestine's there. And it's happening. And whether they come or not, they know that it's something that it's mainstream. And that's the whole point, to keep it mainstream. Um, and that's why all everything that we're doing. Is Do you to have any it. issues getting the billboards up? No. So there's no. It's just a straightforward. No, no, process. no. no. Um, straightforward. Um, previous things, different kind of uh, problems, messaging, etc. But the messaging in here is clear. Yeah. Come celebrate Palestinian history, culture, heritage. You know, have fun. Yeah. Um, even if you look at the advert, um, hopefully listeners can uh, have a look at palestineexpo.com. Yes, that's right. That was my plug there. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, it's the tree. Our thing is the whole tree, right? Yeah. Um, so people, even when we've been out and about over the last couple of weeks, they've seen the tree and they go, oh, Palestine Expo's back. So we're trying to keep that branding bit. I, listen, you need to give a shout out to this designer who put that together because it's, it's a really nice image. We'll have it as the as the, the featured oh, image nice. of this podcast as yeah. well. But like I, when I looked at that tree, like it... it it says Palestine. You've got the whole olive tree yeah. thing going yeah. on. It's really nice. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an abstract. And again, everything's the beauty of FOA. And I'm sure every person who's involved with that particular organization says something similar. But I love it because I feel it's unique in terms of everything's done in-house. We haven't got a, an office, proper office in London. We don't. Um, we have two and a bit staff in terms of London operation. Um, but our volunteers are superb. Honestly, like our volunteers design everything that you see at FOA is our volunteers. Only when people get involved, they realize that, you know what, they've got the same say as me. And that's genuine. People don't understand how that works, but it's really simple if you, if you want to make it work. If you want it to give everyone choice and access, you can. You have a WhatsApp group. Yes, I know you're very technical. You have a WhatsApp group. Look, this design, what do you guys think? Whoever shouts back in the next hour gets that feedback. Anyone that doesn't, yeah. doesn't. It's as simple as that. But yeah. no one can say literally from design, logo, letters. Do we do the billboards? Do we not? Um, everything is in-house, in-house being our volunteers. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's the beauty of it. So let's, you, you've mentioned FOA, mm. um, Friends of Al-Aqsa, which yeah. is the organization behind the Palestine Expo. Yeah. Um, I, we actually met, and, and I can... I can uh, uh, verify what you said about not having a physical office because mm. I, I came down to the, the, the shared office space yeah. that you guys operate in. Very cool space though, not, not yeah, demeaning it in any way. I do like it. It is a nice place, but it's not like a dedicated office, yeah. right? But um, I, I've heard of Friends of Alaksa over the years. I know they're involved with organizing protests <clears throat> that commonly take place in central London. Yeah. Um, but you had to give me a bit of a, a, a history lesson um, into the organization. Mm. 
And I think that might also be helpful for, for our listeners, I guess. So what's what's the story behind Friends of Al-Aqsa? Because I think people will have heard of them. They're, they're like one of those organizations like IHRC, for example. You'll have heard of them, but you don't maybe know what they do and not, don't know the ins and outs. So c- can you tell me more? Mm, let me see. Not what, too much more. What do I want to say? What do I want to give out? <laughs> what, what are the, what, no, I, no. I mean, honestly, what, what no, are the key no. points that people need yeah, to know? Look, um, so this is our 21st year in running as an organization. So the fact that we've been running for so long... In a in a, a time when organisations come, give the hype and disappear, I think the the time we've actually been able to establish and operate kind of speaks is, is a slight testimony to the work. But more than that, I think the reason why people don't know what we do is because we've we're not people that necessarily shout out about what we do. Our work is about you know get on with it, make it happen, and just get on with it. But what I was saying, you know, when we met is. We live in a world of social media. We live in a world where, you know, if you're not having a cup of tea or you've not had, and you don't post you've had a cup of tea, you've not done it. Um, so we do struggle to kind of um, say what we're doing, et cetera. But we're trying to get better at that. Um, our work is essentially lobbying, is essentially getting the awareness out, is, is for people to know what's happening and then doing something about it. Um, we're not a charity. We don't raise a single penny for Palestine because our issue is, look, Palestine actually isn't. A humanitarian problem everything that the charities do and there is very needed because of the occupation but everything the charities do all the problems that palestine have is because of occupation where you're talking about sanitation where they're talking about um hospitals being built schools un giving uh, money through UNRWA or the european union or us from here in terms of water distillations etc it's because of the occupation the occupation causes all the need for the humanitarian issues yeah for us it's political for us, look, the occupation is political and the, and the response needs to be political. The answer is political. And how do we go that? We go on, on a mission of political education and getting our communities involved um, to make that change. So one, education. Education is very, very important. You know, we can have a lot of um, love for Palestine and that's great. And we see on the streets, you know, when, when, for example, Gaza is being bombed, we see, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on the streets of London. And that's great because that shows that people can, people have not forgotten. And so demonstrations are extremely important. But what we also need to do is ensure that we have the base level information to go first off. And then when we have that information, what do we do with it? Information is great. You know, knowledge is great. But if you don't know, do anything with it, if you don't advocate that truth, if you don't advocate what you just learned and pass it on, then you know what? You're just one person silo with, you could be Yoda, but you're not, you know, spreading the love. You're not spreading the knowledge. You're not spreading the info and you're not having an effect, right? For us, you need to have an effect. And how do you do that? You speak to policymakers. You speak to those in, in, uh, who have any sort of power in any kind of institution and influence them to make positive change. So, for example, we work on the premise of international law. We hold parliamentarians account. So when anything happens, we would say, look, what is our government's response? What is your response as my parliamentarian? You work for me. What are you going to say? What are you going to do? What are you going to get up in the cha- uh, chambers? Do you hold them accountable, we, basically? We have to, but we don't do that enough still. We don't. I mean, I can sit here and we'll say what X, Y, Z, but we just don't do that enough. One, resources, and two, we're just, we're just not as politically active as... We need to be. I'm not saying that we're not doing it. I'm saying that we're not doing enough of what we need to do. I'll, I'll let you continue, but I do want to ask you a quick yeah, question. Sure. So when it comes to working with politicians, sure. and I'm, I'm guessing here we're talking about MPs, for example, yeah, right? MPs, They're the parliamentarians, yeah. the people that represent us. I feel like from, from like an outside perspective, I feel like when it comes to the issue of um, Israel and Palestine, um, there is a very strong lobby on the other side, on the Israeli side. And you have, for example, within the Conservative Party, regular trips where MPs, and funny enough, my own MP in my local area is one of the guys that's always going to Israel, going on these trips, and then comes back and, and you see it in the things that he's tweeting, the kind of perspective that he has. And I think people get a bit disenfranchised because there's this notion that, fine, this guy is my MP, but he has his own very strong personal views about this issue and is not willing to budge. I remember um, Bob Blackman, who's my MP, coming to a hustings at, um, at a local mosque and someone actually brought up on the screen that map, the, the standard map mm. that you see of like the land that's been taken mm. away from Palestine over the years. Mm. And he, bear in mind, he was in an environment surrounded by Muslims who feel very passionately about this 
and and basically said that they have every right to do what they're doing and he mm. supports them in that and it infuriated everyone then and it obviously got very heated but at the same time people knew that he or he knew as well that he didn't need our votes he had enough votes in the area mm. standing on the other side of the fence mm. so to speak mm. that he he didn't need to listen to us mm. so for me going to my local MP and speaking to him and saying this is that whatever mm. human rights violation yeah. this has happened UN have said this it's going to fall on deaf mm. ears so like how I mean what kind of response do you get and I'm sure there are there are uh, left-leaning like I mean we look at Jeremy Corbyn for example he said things about Palestine and Israel and talking about recognizing Palestine as a state as a state if the Labour Party comes in but working with the current um, leadership you know specifically the Tory party um what kind of response and I'm sure and I don't know how much detail you can go into into specific names and whatever else but what kind of response do you get okay so I think what you raise is an extremely important point regarding if you're if you approach an MP and it can fall on deaf ears as it were because he's got he's got his votes locked down right he doesn't have to worry about it my question is, why is he so comfortable to think that he's in a position that he can actually have a position that the community won't challenge? It's because we don't vote. It's because we don't actually mobilize. For example, in your area, did we mobilize everyone who thinks politically in that position of yourself? Did we mobilize everyone to say, look, this guy's position is X. This is something we don't agree with. En masse, we're not going to vote him. En masse. We tried. That's what I mean. We tried, but we didn't succeed, right? Yeah, of course yep. not. Yeah. And this is the whole point. I'm not putting on you, by the way. I'm no, not, no, no. But you get. As in, he's blocked me on Twitter. Just yeah. to let you know, it, it got that far. Like, is it no? A lot of people that campaigned against yeah. him just yeah. got blocked on Twitter. And no, that that's fine. Was... But it's not about the Twitter because what we what we should be is uh, links to our communities, person to person, people to people. Mm. Social media is great, and that's good. Uh, um, obviously, we're here now. But I'm it, not just a keyboard warrior. Yeah, 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 I, I know that's yeah. your thing. Oh, this yeah, I was going to go into that. I was gonna, <laughs> but no, it is about us being able to mobilize our communities in people in terms of can we get like hundreds and hundreds of people together to say in a particular area this person's politics uh, does not sync with ours therefore we should not vote for him are we really doing that or we do we do things individually a lot and we're not becoming collective for us to have collective voice we need yeah. to organize and i'm a strong believer in self-organizing we seem to be people that when something happens whether it's on islamophobia or other issues that are pertinent, especially to the Muslim community, we are organized. So people who have our best interests at hand will start organizing. We'll start saying, you know, how about we do this? How about, you know, can you contact this person? And we're starting to organize rather than us to say, you know what, this is happening. Let's call each other. Let's get, be together. You got this resource. You got this. No, we don't do that. We're just, we just, waiting for almost other people to organize ourselves and what and as a for way i'm quite strong on that in terms of look let's self-organize every single point so when for example something happened i'm not going to go into it but it's regarding islamophobia we all we start to organize although it's not full in our remit but because of our community base we got a call from another organization uh non-muslim organization saying oh you know what are you guys doing I go, what do you mean uh, we're just doing this uh, kind of little stunt oh yeah but that's not your remit you're telling me it's not my remit to do something on Islamophobia as FOA, um, but it's yours because you want a monopoly on that. Or how does it work? Like I don't know. Like we're just trying to make a change. It doesn't matter. Yeah. My point is, we need to be proactively doing stuff rather than waiting for someone to say, "Oh yeah, this is bad. We should do this, etc." Mm -hmm. We have enough people doing and enough positions doing excellent work, but we're just not coordinating effectively yet. So Palestine Expo, going back to that. Is, a, is an opportunity for everyone down the pro-Palestinian movement to get together and you know what, actively doing something. So at the event, there's different organizations doing different things. FOA just happens to be the one that's putting things tying together. Tying it all together. Yeah, tying all together. I, I'm, I'm not sure, because um, I know we, we spoke about a few things there, but I, I, I want to come back on, sure. the, on the whole thing about what the response is like from the politicians. Because okay. um, I think that's really important. Yes. So, so the, yeah, the response from politicians is actually quite interesting. Once upon a time, I was with a politician and this politician thought that it was actually Palestine occupy, occupying Israel, right? Really? Um, yeah, this is a while, a while, a while ago, right? But this is, this is the reality, right? Um, like hand on heart, that's what he believed. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean that's I can only go by what um, what he told w- you. Yeah, how what was the briefing? He was he was a new person in position, but the point being is that people we can't assume that's an extreme situation given right given for the only one, right? But my point is that we can't assume that everyone's going to know everything about everything just because you know about it. So my position is FOA. Our thing is look, if someone doesn't know, that's my fault because I've not told them. I've not I've not been able to reach out to them yet. Mm. Um, so to say, oh, why don't you know about it? For me, it's like, you, why haven't you told them about it? That's how I kind of look at things, right? So education is number, is very, very important for public as well as, the, especially for those in power who can make positions. But, uh, you know, fair dues, the guy met and he had the briefing and, and safe to say by the time I left, he knew a few more facts than, than he did when, <laughs> when, we, when I walked in. Um, but then you've got others who, you know what, uh, they're just, it's kind of almost a tick box that, you know, they've, they've listened, etc. Others want to really, want to really get involved. They want to learn. They want to, they want to um, see what's, what information they have. And so one, some, well, quite often people say, we don't hear from you guys enough. Yeah. You know, they don't, they say, you don't hear from you guys enough. And for them, they, they, very very busy people they can only do when they're told do something when they're told to do it almost or forced to do it um because it's like everyone's busy right everyone's busy and everyone's got a billion priorities but our job is to make palestine the mp's priority and you know you're busy man when you've got a million things to do you only do it if i'm on your back right if i'm calling you text you have you done it yet? have you done it yet? have you done it have you done it, yet? Have you done it? You know, it's, it's that kind of thinking isn't it it's like when you ask your mate to do something have you done it have you done it like, yeah i'll do it later i'll do that have you done it now yeah People sometimes we need to encourage to do it or remind you to, to, to do it. And that's, I suppose, part of a campaign organization is to continue to remind people to put some of their day-to-day activity to a side and campaign and then contact your parliamentarians, contact your local institutions yeah. and support BDS, boycott, divestment and sanctions. You know, that's the call from the Palestinians. And all our role is not to talk about one state, two state solutions like people kind of go into, but for us is about to show solidarity to the Palestinians and then go towards the activity and underlining boycott, divestment and sanctions. You know, you say you've never done a podcast before, but you're doing a, a very good job at doing my job. So I, I was going to lead on to BDS. <laughs> I was going to be like, oh, you've spoken about how we as individuals need to take action. How can we do that? But you've just done that for me. Oh, so, look at that. so I, I mean, you should you should host this one to be <laughs> honest. So, uh, getting on to BDS, sure. um, it's it's something that I think has been spoken about for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be a, a cause of controversy lately um, in the US and even here. Um, t- tell me, I guess, a bit more about it because I've grown up with this kind of going to to protests when I was very young and getting these little pieces of paper with just every brand in my house um, on this list. Mm. And it's like, you can't do any of this. So on the one hand, I'm thinking, right, this is basically impossible. And then it's my own personal journey. Then I went to kind of, all right, let me look into these brands. So I went online and some of them were like, oh, the brother of the CEO went to Israel when he was 10 and therefore you can't, you know, buy anything from this company, which is, oh yeah, tenuous links. Some of them are quite damning. Um, and I've come across uh, brands that I've like, I guess till this day, tried to boycott as much as possible. Mm. Um, my policy, it's my own personal mm. thing, is that if, for example, there's a product that I like, um, but I don't buy because I, I'm morally opposed to buying it. If someone else has bought it, I don't mind eating it or using it or whatever. Mm. That's that's how I kind of mm. keep my head clear and also get to enjoy mm. the things that I enjoy that are on that list. But um, where, like, like how, because I think it's probably the most practical way for people to engage with uh, the cause and kind of have it at the forefront of their mind. Because as you said, it's very easy to forget about things and to mm. compartmentalize. Mm. And only when... Gaza's in the news do we suddenly mm. remember and find that kind of black and white scarf that we have in our drawer and wear that to work the next day or whatever um but how can people engage with bds in a, in a meaningful way that's not also almost like Im- impossible sure okay first off we need to know what bds is so bds boycott b for boycott d for divestment s for sanctions right so let's uh, start with the s s what are sanctions sanctions 
just for everyone to be clear, sanctions are when you break the law uh, in the UK here, um, you get to go to court and you get put in jail, right? And you're jail because you've been you've broken the law, right? Countries have international law. That's how countries are supposed to behave themselves. When they break those laws, they're supposed to have punishment. Those punishment can come in the form of sanctions. So, you know, you've been a bad boy, you are not going to deal with you. And the sanctions can come economic sanctions, political sanctions, um, even cultural sanctions in terms of how things are operated. But political and economic sanctions are obviously the most prominent ones. So whilst Israel continues to break international law one after another, um, sanctions aren't being put on them. Like you see sanctions on Iraq, on Iran, Russia, etc., breaking international law, but you do not seem to see that when Israel breaks international law. We need to see that. We need to see it's a level playing field. It has to be a level playing field. Now, with this, um, our parliamentarians, going back to our parliamentarians, are supposed to be upholding this. They're supposed to be saying, look, we as a government cannot have economic links with Israel until it st stops the illegal occupation of Palestine. Yeah, Until xyz um we won't have any political delegations we won't have uh, we'll bring up back our embassy from israel etc these are standard operating procedures for when sanctions are, are employed so we need to keep going back to that lobbying point keep back talking to our politicians to to go with the sanctions but we know from history unfortunately history shows us that politicians are the last people to actually enact good positive change so we have to go back to our people Divestment. Divestment is slightly more complicated, but I'll touch on uh, slightly. It's when companies, for example, HSBC, they hold shares in Elbait Systems. Elbait Systems makes drones, etc., and uh, weaponry, which are used by Israel to uh, to enable the occupation. So we ask HSBC to divest, to to pull out those those shares, etc., and that successfully happened. Um, that's very positive. And then boycott. Boycott is what I think most people have heard of, right? Boycott is your people power. Boycott is you having the scope, you individually, morally, ethically, you know what? Am I going to help this illegal occupation? Or am I going to do something that can stop it in my own personal capacity? And remember, you know, a thousand grains, a million grains of sand, whatever, makes a beach and all that kind of stuff, right? I'm not going to go into the rhetoric because that's what that is rhetoric. But the point of the matter is it comes down to you as an individual. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And you can do a lot. You refer to, um, like, especially these things come around on social media, WhatsApp now when Gaza is being bombed or something horrific happens in Palestine about boycotting. The problem with such a list that we have as an organization is that there's this concept called Odirism. When you really, really want to do something, um, but you have an overflow of information, you see it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is bad. This is bad. Yeah, yeah. This. Is, I'm, I'm definitely not going to. I'm definitely boycotting this. Not going to have this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you start to realize so much information. Like, oh dear. Mm. There's a concept called Odirism by Anthony somebody. There's no point. It's not practical. It's not strategic. Boycott has to be practical and it has to be strategic. So it has to be done in a way where everyone's coming on board. So our position is one check the label boycott when you're buying produce check the label make sure it's not from israel west bank and jordan valley israel west bank why because more likely that they're coming from illegal occupied uh, settlements and that's the produce coming through that's one so that's produce done second in terms of companies there are a million companies right but we have to be strategic we have to be something that where we can actually make a difference Going back to the check the label, we started that check the label campaign over a decade ago and we focused on the dates, Israeli dates. At the time, I think we spoke about it, people were saying, you know, you should have, forget check the label, people aren't going to understand that, have dates, have blood dripping from it because then people will understand that, uh, what you're trying to say, the messaging around it. And that's cool, they will, right? But that's emotional. What tapping into people is emotion. What I'm trying to get across here that we should be educated. Emotions is good, but we want to be educated. So if we're talking about, look, check the label, and we're telling people, check the label, check the label. They understand that it's not just about the dates, it's about the concept. It's about whatever you, whatever produce you pick up, you're checking the label. Because we do dates, we're going to do 
potato, avocado, peppers, whatever, the list goes on. But it's not about that because that's an emotional connection. But you also need to know why you do it. You check the label because they're from occupied territories, not because blood's coming out, because because they're coming from occupied territories. Um, and it's helping sustain the legal occupation. So we've got that. And, you know, fast forward 10 years, you know, we're not taking the credit for it, but you can see that now a lot of Palestinian dates are in the market. You can see that a lot of shop owners now from our communities aren't selling uh, Israeli dates. So if they do, they kind of hide it, hide the boxing and the packaging because people do go in and ask um, where they're from. So much so a few years ago, the campaign was so successful that a lot of these Israeli companies had to export to South Africa and it was labeled as South Africa. Then they bought here. Then no we spoke, way. Yeah, then we spoke to people in South Africa. They had a conversation with a company in South Africa and then we put an end to that one. So, you know, they have to kind of uh, divert around, yeah. the way because boycott works. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, whoever's listening to this, your voice, what you do matters. Don't let anyone ever tell you what you're doing does not matter because it does. Because look, they would not be circumvented. They would not be putting all this effort into the anti-boycott movement. Have literally a minister of strategic affairs in Israel, which their focus is anti-BDS activity. They would not have millions of pounds, a strategic government department set up if what you were doing wasn't working. So it does. Believe in yourself. Keep going. But anyway, on that note, the fact is that now, last year and we've seen this year and we've not been on top of it, admittedly, we're seeing um, Palestinian companies being bought by Israeli companies. It's being sent over here as produce of Palestine, but they're Israeli. And in all honesty, we've not been able to deal with that this year because we've had Expo going on, etc. We've not been able to do that proper due diligence and the research that we, we should do around that. But the point being is that one, it's got tricky now. Yeah. And two, that again, it's working. They have to, they're having to repackage. They're having to go around it. But that brings us obviously another point. That, how do we do it? Yeah, I, I mean, starting with check the label, um, that was actually when when we did meet a few weeks back. That was the one thing that I I had seen and known of over the years, not realizing it was mm. associated with friends of Alexa. Mm. So whilst you say that you don't take credit for it, you probably should because obviously you guys have brought that to the fore. And what's interesting about it is that, as you said, it goes so much deeper. And I don't know when in my own personal kind of shopping history that I'd start doing that, but it's become a standard thing where whenever we buy, especially dates and those kinds, even any kind of fruits or anything, mm. we're, we're, we always check. Mm. And, and like my family check, mm. my parents, like we're always mindful of this. And mm. if someone has bought something, obviously it's by mistake. No mm, one's intentionally course. going out. But we'll always be like, oh, by the way, yeah. this was from Israel. Can you not buy this next time? We'll yeah. get another one. Um, so it, it's a successful campaign and as you said it's it's beyond the emotive and it kind of taps into like this is now a core thing that we need to do mm. it and and as I said that's been the success of that campaign so I, I mean credit to you guys for that and I, I guess hopefully people that are listening at, at the very basic when it comes to this issue as you said um, not buying produce of Israel I don't think is necessarily the most difficult thing mm. um, it's, it's very straightforward it's just a matter of checking which country it's from um, and doing that now I'm, the, I'm going to interject because when you took a deep breath so with, with, the, <laughs> with, the, with the what you call with the produce I'm going to hit you back with something but yeah that, the produce is, is good but it goes obviously beyond produce yeah. right so you've got the other kind of aspects going on but the reason again why it was checked the label and why it's taken so long we have to be in this cause for the long term. It's not about, look, we've sent a couple of emails to our MP. We've gone to a couple of demonstrations, shout free, free Palestine, <coughs> but hold on, occupation stores exist. Oh, I'm going to give up now. You know, it's not about when we're at uni and we're doing some radical stuff at uni and then we graduate and we get a good jobs and, you know, we've got comfort in our money anymore. and we don't care anymore, yeah. right? It's not this some social status symbol, right? This is real people, what we're dealing with, right? Yeah. Everything that we're dealing with is in a passing phase. We need to be hitting for the long term. That's what we've seen individuals, organizations come and go, right? The way we're trying to do it is look, we're not here for the glory. We're here for the long term. We come and get that mentality. That's why we started that one 10 years ago. It's so, you know, it will take a decade for that change to kind of implement. And it's good to hear, you know, that, and we do hear this anecdotal feedback that people check the label. Um, and that's really what we want to do. So anyone, you know, when we, that's listening, don't be disheartened because after a little bit of activity or even a couple of years, that things haven't changed. You know, South African apartheid took decades for, um, since the boycott was launched for apartheid to end. This is a long-term struggle and it's something that's very, very important. And politicians and institutions take a long time to change for the better. But you are doing every single bit to make that change, um, make that intention correct that you're doing it for purity. 
and let it happen. But do 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 it. You know, tie the camel. Do whatever needs to be done, uh, but do it for the long term. So for me, so I just want to interject on that for and yeah. want to know that what they're doing is very very important. But don't get disheartened because people always say to me, especially friends, family, who are being a bit funny when they come over after a while. Are you free Palestine yet? Like, yeah, 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 funny, yeah, yeah. But no, because you know, they, oh, one's got their hot shop jobs doing whatnot, making the monies, etc., making the greens. But that's cool. Yeah. But you know, we we'll get so comfortable that you know what, we don't want to say something just in case it rocks my employment or has a kind of imp- issue. We never say anything that is beyond the legal scope or the parameter. In no way near it. We're the ones upholding international world, holding yeah. peace and justice uh, for all peoples. So we should be supporting organizations and getting involved with all our organizations that do good work rather than, you know, uh, from a distance kind of either throw stones or sort of criticism. Get involved. It's yours. You know, it's, we have to do things together. Yeah. Um, but keep it consistent. Do small, but do it frequent. And, and, you know, hopefully we should be able to see change. So you're going to fry something negative, I think. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save it, I think, because I, I, I like what you just said. And I, I just wanted to, I guess... Um, come back and, and just reinforce the takeaways from, from this conversation. Um, I mean, we could do this for hours. We did, the last time we met, we spoke for quite a long time. Um, and, and this has been just as interesting. But I, I think reflecting back and just looking at what we've discussed, I feel like for, for people listening and generally just for people, the important things are about being engaged at some level constantly not just flash in the pan activism, as you said, writing a letter to your MP is good, but that can't just be happening every year or two years or six months when something goes on in the region. There needs to be something sustained, right? That can be through BDS, um, but also, I guess, volunteering with Friends of Al-Aqsa, attending demonstrations. And that's something that I've spoken about previously with someone on the podcast. I have my own views about um, the effectiveness and, and the motivation behind attending uh, protests yeah. and things like that I used to go very regularly now not so much at all yeah. but again that's another conversation for another time which I'm happy to have another time let's do, <laughs> let's honestly do that another time because uh, this has been fun but the second element of it and coming back right to the beginning of our conversation um, for those London based or I guess UK based mm. the Palestine Expo which is taking place on the 6th and 7th of July um, what can people expect very briefly in like a two minute I know you, you said what it's about mm. but what can people expect on the day Okay, so people to expect on the day, it's not a conference for starters, right? It's, uh, we have a conference section on the third floor, which we have over 50 international speakers, 50 speakers, sorry, uh, many of which are international. So you have the likes of uh, Mandela Mandela, who's uh, Nelson Mandela's grandson. Uh, come, he's an MP in South Africa who'll be talking about uh, uh, the experience of apartheid in South Africa and obviously what's happening in Palestine. You have Ramzi Brood, a well-known Palestinian journalist. We have Gideon Levy, who uh, a journalist for the Haaretz newspaper. We have um, Colin Moynihan, who's the guy who recently at the Labour Party conference where he stood up and said, um, you know, uh, call security because I'm not done yet. I'm talking about Palestine, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's, he's very passionate. But we've got a whole host of speakers. Um, we've got this one lady um, coming from Palestine. It's a Christian lady. Her house is divided by the wall, is surrounded by the wall in three areas. Her house has the wall in three parts, right? So she's going to come and talk about the wall. But where is she going to talk about the wall? She's going to be talking about the wall in our installation. So the thing that we're trying to do at Palestine Expo this year, as I said, year one, we made loads of mistakes. One of the things we're trying to do is educate people. Um, That happened to an extent, but not to the extent I wanted. This year, what we've got going on is 20 plus installations, interactive installations, where people can get their hands on something and learn. So conference is all good for people that want to sit down for an hour and listen to academics and uh, professors from renowned universities from America, South Africa, from all over the world, uh, and great activists and, you know, um, really get more information and sit and digest all that. Um, but then there's the other areas where people want to get the information, but not necessarily as in-depth. So we're having installations where people can learn and have fun at the same time. So for example, we're creating three bowling alleys, life, uh, half life-size bowling alleys. Uh, the pins are made of the wall with the occupation uh, targets on there in terms of the, the BDS. And people are literally bowling down the occupation, you know, having fun, bowling down the occupation. You have a ringmaster saying, yeah, yeah, take a turn, take a turn. Someone gets a strike, they get a prize, etc. And there's ho-hoo-ha. But then every 20 minutes, we're also talking about it. Whilst we're playing, people talking about BDS, you know how it was earlier. But in two, three to five minutes, every 20 minutes, there'll be a little 10, 15 people listening. BDS is boycott, document, sanctions. It is X, Y, Z, da, da, da. So talk about BDS. Then, then you have, for example, the hospital. 
we're building a hospital. That hospital is a um, hospital from Gaza that we're remaking here. We have Palestinian doctors uh, taking care of the hospital. So there's a hospital bed, you know, waiting room, the incubators, etc. And you as a visitor get a card. You sit and you wait and then you speak to the doctor. And the doctor will tell you, okay, um, you know, you, you bring in that note which says what you're diagnosed with. You're diagnosed with cancer, for example. Cancer, you're in the UK and your treatment is XYZ chemotherapy every so and so. This is your process. Then, unfortunately, you're in Gaza. Gaza, and then they'll talk about the occupation there. So they'll talk about what the siege actually means. Um, you're enclosed, two million people, you can't get out don't have access to um, equipment, things can't come in unless Israel agrees it. And you won't be able to get out for treatment for, for cancer and you have to live with cancer and you'll die with cancer because of the occupation. So you can see rather than talking about the, uh, the healthcare, which we will have or the, the, what the siege is for an hour for someone to learn, they will learn that in a matter of three to five minutes. And in a very sort of practical world like real life yeah, scenario. Real life. Yeah, so when, if a mum comes in where they've got a kid, it's going to be hard hitting, but we've got an incubator and the kid will be told, and the mum will be told, you know, your kid in the UK has to go on an incubator for X amount of hours. Unfortunately, the electricity in Gaza oh. is only four to six mm. hours a day and not at the same time. Therefore, you know, we want to hit and sit in with people. Mm. Um, so it's an interactive kind of way. And then you've got other things like, for example, you've got a, a massive like four meter book that you come, that you have to walk through. You have to get past massive like two meter stationary like pencils and rubbers and stuff you have to kind of get across the zebra crossing and you get to read the book and the book has testimonials for Palestinian children and pictures that they've drawn about what the, what about access to education means and the guy who's doing that talk is a uh, is a teach is a teacher he teaches um outside of Gaza but he's from Gaza originally um and talking about what that what that process of education, access education in Palestine mean for the children, whether it's settler violence, whether it's lack of education resources in Gaza, etc. So you can see those different kind of interactive. We've got an eight meter by eight meter by, I don't know how big, um, dome of the, or like six meter, uh, Ghibli, the Great Dome Rocks. Yeah, dome the that, yes, uh, the Great Dome Rocks. So that's going to be huge. Um, as uh, so your kind of entrance, we've got the dubka, we've got the, we've got, uh, we've got, um, we've got the food. We've got, we've got a bit of food. We've got a bit of food. Now, food, let me just put it straight out there, right? No spin, <laughs> right? Last year, 2017, won't make food a big thing. It wasn't because catering was a bit of a disaster in terms of the paperwork, um, etc. This year, we put focus on catering as one of the first things because we knew that we needed to, despite our best of efforts. And again, I apologize to everyone who's listening and who's going to come. Catering has not happened. Again, it's very limited because the amount of paperwork you need at these venues um, from the NVQ level three to all the bits, X, that 10 different pieces of documentation, the people that the type of food that we want to showcase don't have, don't have or mm. haven't been able to get in the last six months. So it's not like we haven't, we've genuinely tried to prep, but it's just not happened. Um, and that's it. Um, so these venues are extortionate as well, like in terms of how they operate and the costings, mm. et cetera, put together. Um, but by Wednesday, I'll find out who has submitted their final paperwork on the deadline. <laughs> but yeah, I'm keeping a rule. Like um, it's it's not looking great, but at the same time, um, food we want to showcase and hope we get to, but um, there'll be other food outlets there. Okay. But if we, but the focus is on the, the cultural. So the, it's a bring the, your own falafel set up then. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I'll hopefully Mr. Falafel has uh, paperwork. Actually, his, I saw his paperwork come in. Yeah, uh, Mr. Falafel? Yeah, I think it's called Mr. Falafel. I was, or I've name-checked another company. But, I think there's a Mr. Falafel on our high street here. Yeah. There's a lot of Mr. Falafels. He's a, he's a, he is a Palestinian guy. It might be him. Well, I don't know, actually. But I'm sure there's quite a few Mr. Falafels around, to be fair. <laughs> but um, yeah, so hopefully the guy who does Falafel will be there. and um, So we'll see how we do with the, with the catering. But generally, um, from the, uh, from there's a creatives corner. We'll try. If you're creative, by the way, creative being if you're a musician, uh, rapper, spoken word, live art, etc., get in touch. It's an area just for up and coming acts, just to take, uh, just to showcase their work really on the on the basis of identity um, and and justice. So have and a do shout. Do they have out. to be Palestinian? No, anyone. Okay. And that's the thing for for you to be. Standing up for justice for Palestine, you don't have to be Palestinian, you don't have to be Muslim, you just have to be a human being standing up for justice. So this is open and everything is open. But the stories yeah. that we're trying to get out are obviously from the Palestinian people themselves. Like I said about that lady, um, Claire, coming from uh, Jerusalem about about, her, about the wall. Um, and there's this guy called Tariq. He's really interesting because he's taking up the UN tent. So we've got a mock UN tent. Uh, the tent was where um, Palestinians had 
had to had to go into tents because uh, when they were made refugees by Israel during the Nakba, and these tents, he'll be talking at the tent. We'll have all the artifacts from 1948. You've got wedding dresses from a Palestinian wedding dresses from 1900 coming through as well. Wow. One one shoe is coming. The other shoe is in the uh, in, in the Victoria Albert Museum. But this, we found the lady who has the other pair of the shoe. No way. I don't know. Like it's some and she's not. <laughs> And she's she's just it's just there like at the at the VNA apparently seen this like glass boxes at yeah. the one you see at some community center up, um, just outside London and it's just on the table like she goes yeah I've got to kind of sort it out with them and, but she's bringing it so it's cool like it is cool you got as I said um, the showcasing of all as much history as we can uh, put through um, and this guy called Derek people from outside Palestine text him of a house of what their house used to look like he goes. And goes around Palestine trying to find that house and sends her back a picture of what the house now looks like. No the way. Po- yeah, the point is because people still yearn after generations still to go back to their home. Yeah. Because that's still home. They still got their keys. So he just tries to reconnect them to say, look, this is what your home is looking like. And he goes to talk to the people and says, look, we found the people who used to live here. And they go, and, um, you know, this is documented on the internet. They go, oh, no, th- we're here now. This is ours. But, you know, it's clearly not. Um, and the people who have rightful, uh, um, ownership over that property have their keys still but they were uh, forced out i think i've seen either a video or an article or piece of content around this specifically yeah. about the keys yeah and people having the keys yes. to their, their yeah. old homes yeah it's... um yeah but no, no. Th- all in all it's a two-day of fun interactive uh, activity going on um we need to make sure that we are there as a community to show support for Palestine. Yes, we will learn, we will educate ourselves, and that's extremely important to bring in young ones. We've got a theater, Prophets of Palestine, because um, there's various prophets from uh, that are affiliated to the land of uh, Palestine. So there are um, theater going on, and that's one of the highlights of last year. So although this year is 95% new content, that's one of the few things that we'll bring back because it went so well, because um, yeah. the parents really love their children learning about the Prophets of Palestine. So we're redoing that, um, but come, Right now, with what 19 days to go, what it is, it's about making sure that all our friends and family are buying the tickets, buying the tickets, telling people to come, get there, show your solidarity, show your support for Palestine. Don't let this be forgotten. Show it on the mainstream. We have to be realistic. The, the political arena right now, people start to think, oh, what's going on, etc. This is your opportunity. This is our opportunity to show you, you know what? We're down with Palestine still. We love Palestine. We want to learn about Palestine. We'll be there until Palestine is freed. Inshallah. Jamil, thank you very much for your time. I've, I've genuinely learned a lot about the history of Palestine and, and BDS and breaking that down and everything else. Um, it would be great to do this again because I think there's a lot more we can talk about on this issue. Um, so maybe after the expo is over, we can, we can sit down once you've had a few months to recover. From the trauma of, of organizing an event with thousands of attendees, which I'm sure is... Uh... Hopefully, but that depends if everyone here starts spreading the word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. No, but I, I'm sure people will turn up. I mean, yeah. it's, it's been successful in the past. Um, and again, I, I guess I just want to commend you and, and the organization for, for your work over the years. Because I think causes like Palestine have, have been at the heart of the Muslim community. Specifically, obviously, you know, from the Muslim vibe perspective, I'm, I'm thinking the Muslim community, but generally it's been a part of many communities. Um, and that's down to the tireless work of, of individuals and, and people older than ourselves that have, have been in the game for, for decades. Um, kind of, I, I guess, leading the way and, and, and paving the way for us to kind of be able to, to pick up the, the, the torch and, and carry on. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for your time and for your input. Yeah, just to say that this has nothing to do with me. This has to do everything with our volunteers and our communities. It's we just happen to be in a position that we just try and make things happen best of our ability. But the thanks always goes down to the grassroots, to our people, to our communities, to our volunteers, and people like yourself that didn't have to come and say, "Look, do you want to have a chat about this?" So thank you very much. But everyone here, just let's just get on this palestineexpo.com, spread the word, and I'll see you there. Thank you very much. The link will be in the bio. We've also got, I think, a discount code um, that we can offer our, our listeners. So, yeah, be sure to check out. And we will actually be there exhibiting. So we'll, we'll see you there. So that was my conversation with Shamil. Um, a lot to think about, to be honest. I think, you know, talking about the issue of Palestine um, more broadly, it's really important, as we said, uh, just in the kind of closing remarks, I think it's really important that we kind of actively... because. It's a cause that 
is always spoken about it's kind of uh, i would say at least a core cause um at the heart of of muslims worldwide for example we we did a fundraiser through the muslim vibe um for penny appeal to raise money for gaza in ramadan um and 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 we we raised our target within about a week and there is that that real kind of passion and emotion um when people think about the cause and are very passionate you know people are very passionate towards it but at the same time i think it's important that it's not just a flash in the pan it's not just ramadan um and anytime things kick off in the media it's important that it's something that we're kind of mindful of and actively and this is key it's not just passive but actively working towards doing something um for the cause which is which is really really crucial and important um but yeah i i hope to to see everyone um listening here at the expo if you have found out about the expo through this podcast and then you turn up we have a stall there i'm not sure of the stall number but do come down and do tell us that you came to the expo after listening to this conversation that would be absolutely amazing um beyond that i hope you've enjoyed this podcast uh be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and if you have subscribed then we would really appreciate uh, a five star rating and a really nice review um yeah that's that's everything from me uh, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh